0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everyone. This is Deb from Media Night Radio. As you know, uh, we have a special edition tonight with the wonderful Jimmy Jameson. Uh, he is the lead singer of the band Survivor. But before Survivor, Jameson began his musical career with the nationally acclaimed band Target. He continued on his rise to stardom with the band Cobra. After Cobra, he joined Survivor, where the band has enjoyed success with five singles in the top ten, four gold, and double platinum albums, and multiple movie soundtracks. The movie soundtrack for Rocky, starring Sylvester Stallone, included the mega-hit Eye of the Tiger, which still thrills concert audiences to the present. The Baywatch theme, I'm Always Here, was also co-written by Jameson as well as performed. Jameson has also released several solo albums, one of them being the album When Love Comes Down, which boasted the explosive single, Rock Hard, demonstrating the power of Jamison's voice. Others to mention are Crossroads Moment and Extra Moment. In 2011, Jameson released an album with former Toto singer Bobby Kimball. Aside from being a lead vocalist, Jimmy has also made six music videos and television appearances. He has served on the Grammy Awards Committee and is a member of AFTRA, SAG, and NARAS. Jamison has also performed backup vocals for recordings by ZZ Top, Crocus, Jeff Healy Band, and numerous other recording artists. Not to take his success for granted, Jamison has always given back through his charity work with such organizations as St. Jude Children's Hospital, Ronald McDonald House, Juvenile Diabetes, Make-A-Wish Foundation, the Special Olympics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jameson will be releasing a new album titled Never Too Late, due out on Tuesday, November 6th. Let's welcome to the airwaves, Jimmy Jameson. Hi,
2: Jimmy. Hey,
1: Deb. Do you have the marching band? To bring me on. I almost fell asleep during that intro. <laughs>
0: Well, sure, it's it's difficult Jimmy when you're so accomplished, you know, you can't oh, yeah. <laughs> leave anything out, you know, because then people don't are like, "Well, why didn't she mention this?" So yeah, right. I had to cover it. <laughs> I got you. Okay. How are you? <laughs> how are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. good. Um okay, so so you were born you were raised in Mississippi.
1: Actually, I was just born, I was born in Mississippi, Point of but I, I was actually, I actually grew up in Memphis.
0: Memphis. Okay. So you're, you're, you're technically from Memphis then because you were raised there. Yeah. yeah right. I got it. So what was it like for you, uh, growing up there in Memphis?
1: Well, it, it was what helped musically. It was great because, you know, um, uh, rock and roll kind of started here, you know, with a well, well, in the sense of the word that the, most of the public thinks uh, that was through Elvis Presley, you know, and right. so I grew up listening to listening to him as far as I as far as I can remember. When I was like six years old hearing him singing, you know, and then and, and hearing the Stax records and the R and B, the soul music, all you know, everything. The two big uh, soul uh, record labels in the country were in Detroit and and uh, and in Memphis, you know, and they were always at you know, battling each other to try, try to outdo each other, and so I was lucky to be in one of those
0: towns. Now and growing up, oh, awesome! Um, was it was it different? Um, say growing up in like the heart of you know music, as opposed to like growing up in Los Angeles. Um, nah, well, it was it
1: was. It was harder going up here because there was no music business in Memphis, really. You know, there was the only music business was not the kind of music business that I was in. You know, <laughs> the different style of music. So Los Angeles would have probably been, well, I say easier, quicker, maybe. But you know, you never know. You can you can you can be successful in in the business uh, quicker in Los Angeles, and you can also be out of the business quicker. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. That is true. That I think that's true for most things in Los Angeles.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I love Los Angeles, you know, and I, as a matter of fact, that's where we did all my, when I first got my first record, record deal, that's where we got did all our business, it was in L.A., with oh, Records.
0: Oh, A&M? Did you say A&M? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's an oldie but a goodie. Yeah. Definitely. Um, okay, as a young boy, I understand you met Elvis Presley on one of his famous shopping sprees. Yeah. Can you describe what it is like to meet the king of rock and roll at that age? Well, I was
1: about—I guess I was like about ten years old or something like that, you know. And and uh, it was it was amazing, you know. It was it was Elvis Presley. He was the king. was the It was the man, you know. And uh, we were at this little shopping. It's a funny story how how I met him. We were at this little little. Uh, uh, it's, it's, believe it or not, it was a drugstore. <laughs> Oh. remember I was in a drugstore, but they sold a bunch of them. They call it Cat's Drugstore, but they sold all kinds of stuff, like Walmart, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and they even had exotic animals in the basement. And so so uh, my mom, my cousin, and my stepfather were there with me, and we were in, uh, staying on this aisle. My cousin walked around and looked down the aisle and came back and to my, told my mother, Dorothy, there's a, there's a guy on the next aisle who looks just like Elvis. So my mother walks around the aisle and, you know, naturally, she'd like,
2: it is
1: Elvis, Elvis, echoing in the store, you know, so everybody knew he was there then, you know. And uh, and so with people, everybody was following him around, you know, and he, he went downstairs and, in the basement to look at the exotic animals. So every, the whole store followed him down in the basement, you know, me too. And uh, I was, in fact, I was right behind him, you know, and so, so he was trying to get a uh, he had his girl with him. He was on his motorcycle, and he had his his little motorcycle hat on, and he had this. Some girl was with him, but not, I didn't pay any attention. Could have been Natalie Wood, for all I know. But I, I didn't even look at the girl because it was. I was, you know, it was fixed on Elvis. And uh, he was trying to get a, a lion cub out of the uh, cage. Trying to, one of the one of the people that worked there was trying to get a lion cub out of the cage for him, for I guess for the girl. And he uh, they couldn't get out. And Elvis kind of leaned over to me and said, uh, "You think i will buy that?" I said, "Yeah." So he was, and he was put, put his put his arm on my shoulder and was like leaning on my shoulder. Man, I didn't want to move because I didn't want Elvis to fall over, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> and so that's how I how I met Elvis. It was it was amazing. It was a great thing. And later on, later on in life, I was playing this club in Memphis, and uh, one of his friends came in and said, "Jameson, you got to come with me right now." I said, "Why?" He she said, "Elvis wants to meet you," and I said. He, what did you want to meet me for? This, I was like, I guess, 19 or 20 at this, this time. I said, what did you want to meet me for? And she said, because I told him you were a better singer than yes <laughs> oh. <laughs> And I
2: said, no way I'm going to
1: go there now. Jesus Christ. But, you know, he, he was such a jokester. I should have gone over there. I didn't go, but I should have gone because he, we'd have probably become really good friends then.
2: Oh, my God. Well, oh, yeah. did,
0: did meeting Elvis – like, inspire you towards music?
1: No, not at all. Not in the least. No, that's not what inspired me toward music. You know, listening to the, you know, just loving his music and everybody else's music too. You know, the Beatles, uh, right. uh, uh, all these groups, you know, mainly the, 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 the Beatles inspired me to do it. Um. Uh, but I didn't really, you know, what I didn't really put a band together, I was in the a cappella choir at school, and these guys that I played football with uh, had a band, and they heard me sing, and they came up to me and said, uh, you want to be in a band? And I said, sure. So let's, let's, that's that's how it started, you know. But, it, it, but as far as inspiration, all the bands inspired me as far as my vocals and, and what kind of music I do and the kind of music I played back then. But, so that's uh, I, when they asked me to be in a band, I pretty much uh, solidified the fact that I'll never be the president of a corporation, you know. <laughs> Back you know, for back then anyway. <laughs> but that, meeting Elvis meeting of us really didn't didn't have anything to do with me being in music. Meeting it was a great thing and I, I wouldn't take anything for it but but just uh, all all music and you know, inspired me. Hmm.
0: That's interesting, okay. With Survivor on Tour doing a lot of dates and playing a lot of casinos right now.
1: What do you do to stay grounded? Um, I gamble a lot. <laughs> you're at a casino. What are you going to do? You know, <laughs> and you run out of money, you're pretty much grounded, right? <laughs> so, uh, I, I know. I just, I, you know, I play. Uh, I play golf. I come home. You know, I, I, I do the shows. So, you know, we don't stay out on tour like we used to. Uh, we used to stay out for months and months and months, and it's hard to stay grounded then. But but uh, when everybody's like treating you like a you know a king or something, and you come home and you gotta got to gotta cut the grass and stuff, you know normal stuff like that. Right. Which I, love, which I enjoy doing actually, man. You know? And uh, so uh, nowadays we don't we never stay gone that long anymore to us. Where it would be any problem, you know. We we play on the weekends and we come home, and uh, it's business as usual. You know, normal, not just normal stuff.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I, I just wondered if there was like some sort of, you know, kind of ritual that you do when you're out on tour that keeps you kind of level and, you know, there's all that. Yeah. There's all uh, of that. In. Yeah, I don't have any kind of ritual.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't meditate or anything like that. I'm oh, just, well. I'm just, uh, I'm just uh, I just, uh, you know, you know, yeah, I figure, I think, you know, people are, I always, I always, Singers
2: that
1: years ago, we didn't know each other, you know, and we were, we it was our peers, and and we were all kind of in competition. Now they're all my friends, you know. So it's 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 a, it's a, it's it's really funny how things come full circle like that, and you find out how people really are, and, and instead of how you thought they were and everything. So so everybody's really normal, you know. Everybody in the music business I've, that I've met, except for a couple of guys, were just normal people. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, that's that's something different because you don't generally hear that. Yep. I hope not. I'm <laughs> lying
2: my ass off. No, I'm
0: kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm lying. I'm uh, lying. You can't see yes. me. I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It is true. Um, okay, so the show Baywatch was uh, such a huge success um, on television all over the world. The theme song titled I'm Always Here, which you co-wrote as well as performed, what inspired you to write this song?
1: Uh, well, I went, I actually, was a, that was the second song that I wrote. I wrote one song
2: called Everyday Hero
1: and submitted it, and they wanted me to try something else and try and write, come back to L.A. and, and write with a friend of mine, Corey Lirius, who was the keyboard player for Pablo Cruz. And... Uh, so I went over to Corey's house, and we, Corey had this track that he, he, he was working on, and so he, he made me a copy of it, and I took it back to the hotel. And I wrote the lyrics that night, as a matter of fact. And to be honest with you, it's it's a Christian song that I wrote, and they thought I was writing about lifeguards. So. <laughs> you know, I'm always here. It's not talking about a lifeguard being there, if you know what I mean. If, <laughs> and the only person that got it, the only person that figured that out was a writer for Playboy magazine. And they took the song and, and I heard the the producer told me, and said, Can you believe this? Read this uh, and it said, uh Baywatch, Ly- Baywatch song lyrics are, are uh, without a doubt Christian lyrics and that uh, he's the only person that got it, that got it. The only person the producer that everybody didn't even know it, you
2: know, mm-hmm. and they and
1: they called me up and said, Can you believe this guy thinks that? I said, No, I can't believe it. Keep sending those checks. <laughs> So that was that, that. That's basically what it's all about. If you read those lyrics, you'll see what I mean.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. Because actually, I was going to ask you what the network was drawn to, to make the decision to have that as the theme song.
1: Um, I don't know. I just I think it's a good song. I think we just got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> just got lucky.
0: Okay. Yeah, got
1: lucky. Yeah. Well, that has a lot to do with it. You know, in the right place at the right time, and knowing the right people. That has a lot to
2: do with it.
0: Now, now, because of Baywatch's success, were you also like uh, approached to, to do other theme songs? Uh,
1: as a matter of fact, yes, uh, I, I did. It. I've done other things for smaller, for smaller shows, you know. And um, I for the small, one of the very small, small ones. I did a thing for Johnny Bravo. <laughs> Johnny, <laughs> you know, Johnny Bravo. Bravo is a Cartoon Network. Yeah. But I was—I loved it. They called me up, and I said, yes, I'll do it. I don't care if I get paid or not. I love that cartoon, you know. Oh. It was, I just loved it. It was great because the guy looked like, talked like Elvis, you know. Yeah. And, and it was funny. And, uh, yeah, so other people have contacted me about stuff like that. And I also, and to, just just to sing, you know, songs and movies also. So okay. I've been pretty lucky when it, when it comes to that. As a matter of fact, I'm working on a new movie right now uh, with uh, Pat Horgan Uh uh, called uh, Trouble in Paradise, which is a, a Cuban mafia movie. And, oh! Uh, he and I have written a song for it, and they want me to sing the the main theme song for it, and uh, and I, they want me to play a part in it with Christian Slater, who's the main actor in the movie. And so, but I'll probably get killed like the first couple of minutes <laughs> of the movie, so don't worry. You'll have to see bad acting with only a couple of minutes. <laughs>
0: well, anyway, I'm, <laughs> and, I,
1: and I'm a mafia guy, bad guy
0: in the movies. Oh, I love it! Oh, well, that's a departure
2: for you. Was that oh,
1: different I for you, playing it? Right I love it. Yeah, yeah, I want to be the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know why? Because the bad guy, uh, the people hate him, and they get so much publicity because people hate him. And but when they turn good, the people love them that much more. It's that's like true. wrestling. It's a, like just like wrestling, the wrestling business. You know, they do this, what they do.
0: Right. Right. All right. So. Since you've performed so many number one hits, as well as co-written some as well, is there one in particular that holds a special memory for you more than the others? Uh, As
1: far as songs?
0: Yeah.
1: It would have to be the Baywatch song, because I I got a lot of mileage out of that song, and I met a lot of people, including Pam Anderson and... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so it would have to be that one. Oh, like, I, was like, I, was like, I was like I was like Borat, you know. <laughs> when I met Pam. <laughs> You'll be my wife. <laughs> I I'm, I'm I I'm I'm just taking it for granted that you you saw that movie, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Of course yeah you know, there was a i was i had a song in the movie and it was it was one of the deleted scenes that that they took out and if you get on YouTube and search for Borat, deleted scenes i'm i'm uh my vocals in it and I can see why they took it out because what he was doing wasn't you know it was he taken a little bit too far uh, yeah he,
2: he he is
0: a little bit
1: outlandish yeah I love it though
0: yeah, he's he's different. He's uh he's someone that you have to acquire a taste for, for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um okay, so here's here's uh here's a quandary for you, I think. Um in two thousand eleven you released an album with former Toto singer Bobby Campbell. How did you decide which name would go first on the album? Uh
1: he's older than me, so I let him go first. True. That's what I told him. I said, Bobby, you're a lot older than me, so go ahead, Mr. Campbell, so go ahead and put your name first. And that's all it took, huh? That
0: that's was it. it there was no egos it,
1: it, involved. It didn't no, not what none whatsoever. Now as far as recording this the song or anything. Bobby and I have been friends for twenty years, you know. Oh. We don't, we laugh at egos. So so that's pretty much that. that was, you know, I, I know in his back of his mind he wanted his name to be first anyway. You know, so I said, just put your name first.
2: <laughs> well, okay. You know,
1: but don't tell him I said that in case he might be listening. Bobby's listeners, I was just kidding. Because <laughs> he lives in LA. yeah? Ah,
0: uh, okay. Well, he'll um, he'll come and he'll come and look you up. Oh, I'm, um, gonna, I'm
1: gonna call him up and tell him to check it out. Yes, if, it's sure. on, if, it, if it's
2: going to be online
0: somewhere. In, 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 oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it'll be up as soon as the show's over. Right. <laughs> <Great. laughs>
2: um,
0: okay. So I understand. Now this is switching switching a little bit, but I understand that you've recorded some country music, and are a fan of the genre. Did you oh, start yeah. your love of country music when you were in when you when you were raised in Memphis? Or was it another
1: reason that came up because you loved it? No, I used to you know, I've always been around it because my parents listened to it, you know, and uh, my um, I would I used to go to, I would go down to Mississippi on, on the, during the summer and stay with stay for a while with my all my cousins and my aunts and uncles and stuff down there and they and they always had the radio on. And Hank Williams was playing on the radio back then. I don't know if he was. If it was just his records, or if he was still alive, or what. <laughs> but I, you know, he was a great. I, I came to realize at first I didn't like it, but I came to realize that, that he was really a brilliant songwriter. I mean, just totally, way beyond his time. And it was so, i I, 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 knew, I knew I knew about Hank Williams, and I knew what a great songwriter he was when I was a kid. But I didn't really start getting into country country music until, oh, God. So, actually, before I, right before I got in Survivor and back in the uh, late 70s.
0: Oh, wow. That's, you know, that, that it's interesting because you, you wouldn't think that somebody in rock and roll like you've been would be also in country. But at the yeah. same time, it's all tied together, isn't it?
1: It really is. I mean, Garth Brooks was a rocker, you know. Before he was ever, was ever
2: country.
0: Oh, And
1: it's the same goodness. thing except in reverse for him.
2: Oh,
1: um, And a lot of, okay. there's so many people like that. You know, Janie Fricky, she was a country music uh, female vocalist of the year, you know, and she was a good friend of mine. We sang jingles together, and she was anything but country, you know, at that time. And she got, had a country, got a brilliant country career, and, and, you know, won the awards and everything, so.
0: Oh wow! So you, I so had...
1: you would be you would be totally shocked. That Travis Tritt, rock and roller, turn country. They had hundreds of people. More people were uh, rock and rollers turned country than country turned rock and rollers. So.
2: Oh
0: wow! See, I never, I never would have guessed that. But I am finding that most things, like because of, because of Carrie Underwood, because of Taylor Swift, because of Garth Brooks, because of. You know, there's so many to name. We are going into, um, they cross over all the time, and at oh, the yeah. Court. Yeah.
1: exactly, yeah.
0: Um, now speaking of your first, your first band, Target, is there any plans to reunite the band? Because I understand there's always requests for you guys to do some more, to do some more shows.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, it's like I just got a big cult following or, or something now. You know, I was I was in Los Angeles one day, and I went to, before Tower Records was gone. I went and walked into Tower Records, and I walked out, and this guy was, I was walking in Tower Records, and this guy was walking out, and he had a target album. And he said, "Wow, dude, could you sign this?" I said, "Geez, I didn't know Tower Records had Target Records out here."
2: And this was way
1: after the, it was it was released. You know, way after the band. And that's when I was when I was in Survivor actually, and uh, so uh, this uh, this talk you know around the country of, of the band because we we played so much. I guess uh, we one tour would end and we'd we'd go directly to another tour. We toured with we did Journey's first tour with them. We did uh, Boston's first tour with them. Robin Trower, Bible Seger, Sticks, every Sticks first headline tour. We did so many bands' first headline tours with them, opening up for them. I guess we were the world's most famous opening act, you know? <laughs> so so we get I like, get a lot of requests from from people, you know, to do to do do something with Target, play live or do another record or something, you know, and so uh, we haven't really got any plans to do anything of any of it right now, uh, even though although we did play it for a couple of weeks ago for a friend of mine's uh, a benefit for a friend of mine raised like. $30,000 for him. He says he has, he has cancer and he's not going to be able to work for a long time. I, I was really happy that we were able to do that.
0: Yeah, that's very sweet. And and speaking of uh, your your charity work, I mean, I, I obviously you're very passionate about your charity work. And you work with such organizations as, you know, St. Jude, Children's Hospital, Ronald McDonald House, Juvenile Diabetes, Make-A-Wish, Special Olympics, et cetera. How do you fit that in
1: with your busy schedule? Uh, you know, I don't
0: know. I, it just kind
1: of it works its own stuff out. Yeah, it's weird because uh, I haven't had anything interfere with any shows that I had outside of the charity thing. Uh, to my well, maybe a couple of them that I I couldn't do because I had contracts to do other things, but but most of most of the time it works itself out and it's, 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 they try to have the charity events on on, on days where uh, the artist would most likely not be working like I played a lot of different artists at some of these charity events Mike Greenhoff from Loverboy does it with me and John Cafferty and um, and the guys from Blue Oyster Cult and just a lot of guys we, do, we all get together and we do these charity events together sometimes and so they pretty much uh, try to schedule them in between our stuff most of the time.
2: Oh, um, that's
0: well, it's it's so commendable uh, this charity work. Are you guys going to do something for Hurricane Sandy relief? Really? I
1: haven't, I had, I haven't heard it, nothing's come up yet. No one's called me or got in touch with me yet. But you know, I wouldn't mind doing it at all. It's hard, it's hard, really hard for me to say no to to people in need like that. You know, it's really right. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to blow my horn here or anything. But you know, hey, we got to help each other out. Because, you know, that's that's what we should do.
0: Now, where did that? I'm curious to see where did that, um, model for you come from? Where where did you start understanding that, or where does that come from for you? Why is that so important to you?
1: Uh, I think from my mom, because she was a very giving person. And I think it started there. And, um, I just, I was pretty much, I, I grew up alone with no brothers or sisters and, uh, I would see all these on TV, I watch TV, and I'd see all this, this stuff going on, you know, and people starving to death and in your own hometowns that, you know, and everybody, if there's so much here to be had, the first time somebody asked me to do a charity event, I said, yeah, when do you want me to be there, you know? And so it's just something that came from my family, I think. Because they were they were very generous generous people and they, and they weren't rich or anything like that you know but they were very generous with their time and with whatever they had they always shared it.
2: Mm. Wow, well that's
0: a that's a wonderful motto and I know there's a lot of them in the music industry that are like that but there are just as many that don't have that type of mentality as well. So you are to be commended for well, what you do do.
1: Thank you, but I'm, uh, I'm just doing my part, and it's just one little part, so I'm you
0: know, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Mm, it's wonderful. Okay, so um, since you're a big Elvis fan, have you seen the Elvis slot machines and their cool, huge, big door-sized Elvis picks that is made of plexiglass? Um,
1: I've seen the displays for them. I, I don't know if I've seen the actual the, uh, slot machine or not, but, boy, oh, I'd like to have one of those. <laughs> I see. i i i I saw some uh, some oh yeah, wait a minute, I have yeah, yeah, and they're they they killer. I want one bad, I gotta talk to Monica. <laughs> 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 hey, Monica uh, how can I gotta give those machines
0: <laughs> <laughs> um well, have you ever met Joe trummer?
1: Joe's drummer. hmm <laughs> I cannot believe it. That is one of the funniest stories, and it's totally true. And nobody—it's hard to believe, actually. I guess I'm going to have to tell it now, right? Yes. <laughs> oh,
2: okay. please. Okay. Joe
1: Walsh uh, moved to Memphis for a while to. Uh, we were going to. We were going to ride some. Actually, we were going to put a band together before the Eagles got to back together. And so, we were. At, I was at his house one night. We were riding. And he said, "Let's go down to Bill Street and sit in with." So we had some friends playing on Bill Street at so this club called Alfred's, and so I said, "Let's go down and sit in with them." So we went down there and uh, walked in the door, and Joe immediately gets up on the stage and starts playing. And they're playing really loud; you can, you know, it's hard to hear what's going on in the crowd. You can't hear you're trying to talk to someone. And so I went back, got a drink, and I was standing about midway back from the, in the building. And this guy walks up to me with this uh, with this long coat and. Kind of a British looking hat with an English accent and said, Jimmy, hi, I'm Joe's drummer. I'm a big fan of yours. I said, bullshit. You're not Joe's drummer. And uh, he said, no, seriously, I am. And uh, he kept saying it. And I said, this I finally got, I said, look, you're not Joe's drummer. I came here with Joe. I know Joe. I know Joe's drummer. Okay? And he finally just gave up, and shook his head, and walked off. Uh, a few minutes later, and they were playing really – I couldn't hear what the, what the guy was saying hardly right. said I knew he was saying it was Joe's drummer. And so uh, this uh, the, they took, the band stopped playing, and the bass of the band, after a few minutes, came over to me and said, Jimmy, what did you say to that guy? And I said, he told me he was Joe's drummer, and I told him he was full of crap. He said, no, he said he was Joe's drummer from The Clash. <laughs> and, Oh, my God. Talk about embarrassment. I looked everywhere for him, and I couldn't find him, and he left. It freaked him out so bad, didn't he? And now he, he, he died, and I can't even get, I'm trying to get in touch with his band or because he probably wouldn't told his band, oh, Jameson's an asshole, you know? Oh. <laughs> so I'm trying to get in touch with the band, and I, can't, I don't know how to get in touch with the band to tell them the story. I mean, they'd probably die laughing if I told them.
0: They probably would. I'm sure they would. Oh, my you know, goodness. You know, Walsh didn't even
1: believe me. <laughs> He was there <laughs> But I do have a witness I
0: I believe
1: you I believe you <laughs> It's totally true <laughs> Just, hey, Listen, I know Joe's drummer You know, your guy sitting <laughs> in front of me Thinks I'm saying, I know Joe's drummer You
0: know let <laughs> me. Okay, so let's talk about your newest album Titled Never Too Late It's due to be released on Tuesday November 6th, this Tuesday what can your fans expect from this album?
1: Um, it's a little more rock, and uh, it's it's what I really like. You know, it's still got this melodic, but it's rock still rock, and it's still got the still got the great ballads on it too. So, so it's 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 more of the direction I think. The, we always try to take Survivor, which we did on one record called Too Hot to Sleep, but we weren't able to capture it on any of the records. And I think I did it on this one. It's a it's really a great record, and I'm really proud of it. I used I used to say that you know I used to don't even listen to the record after, listen to the record for at least a year after I record a record because I've heard it so much. But this one, I listen to all the time. It's, uh, so, you know.
2: Um.
1: So that that says something for us. So I think they can. It, it's it's a I think it's a really good record, and they're going to enjoy it. Can we listen to a
0: little excerpt of it? Sure. Okay, here we go. Kimmy Jameson, never too late.
2: You got what it takes to make everything come true. The world isn't there for you. Just can't. Get what you give One day it will come back
0: Okay. Well, that's what you fans have to.
1: Yeah, you should listen to the end of it backwards because the end of it, it really gets cool. <laughs> no, it's, it's really good. I'm proud of it.
0: You should be. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I love it. Uh, okay, so fans, uh, you just heard uh, an excerpt from uh, Jimmy's uh, latest album due out on Tuesday, November 6th. Make sure you pick up a copy. Where can they pick up a copy?
1: Uh, online at uh, NEH Records or Frontiers uh, re- so Frontiers it uh, or on iTunes or just about any of the play any the, anywhere online that sells records Amazon. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Wonderful.
0: So. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking this time with us, Jimmy. It was a pleasure having you on the air, and uh, much success uh, always. And uh, make sure that, uh, you know, you uh, come back and uh, see us again. we Will do. Okay. Thanks, Deb. Thank you very much. Right. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. That will conclude this. I'm going to take this show out with, um, with Jimmy Jameson, never too late. Have a good night and a good weekend.
2: You got what it takes To make everything come true The world isn't there for you Just carry on You get what you give